Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey podcast. My name is Dan Roselle. I'm joined by John Fisher. Hello, John. Hello, Dan. It's been uh, it's been a week in Devils hockey. It's been a very interesting one. Um, you know, as interesting as it can be when you're not completing uh, competing for a playoff spot at all, and when everything in the division's basically been decided except for who's playing who. I mean, everything in almost every division has been decided uh, except for that. It's just not much of a playoff race developing this year with this format, but. That being said, still some stuff worth discussing, and this past week in Devils Hockey saw some uh, some interesting results as the Devils got revenge on uh, the Boston Bruins. They managed to take a game in overtime on the strength of a Pavel Zaka overtime goal, and then they beat the Islanders 2-1 to before falling to them 5-1 to yesterday. So let's go through the games and what impressed you the most as the Devils kind of finish out this season. What, what did you see in those games, John, that either gives you hope or gives you some sort of a pessimism going into next year? Well, let's get let's get the last one out of the way first, because mm-hmm. that's the easiest and the shortest to talk about. They just sucked on Saturday night. <laughs> and to be fair, Dan, that game does ha- did have some historical value. Um, it is the last ever regular season game for real this time at Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum in Uniondale, New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Islanders are moving to the UBS Arena in Belmont uh, next season. Obviously, the Islanders will be playing in the playoffs, so it's not the end of hockey in Nassau. And I'm sure there may be a preseason game here or there. Um, Actually, no, probably not. Nassau is literally falling apart. (laughs) But uh, the Devils can – you know, I had no expectation the Devils were going to win on Saturday night. I figured last ever regular season game, we got a playoff bound team that might have something to play for and a Devils team that has – had nothing to play for for about six weeks now. Um, yeah, I don't see the Devils winning that one. But I did expect a competitive game, and the Devils completely disappointed me. And that disappointment was very similar to what we've talked about ad nauseum throughout the season with neutral zone turnovers turning into goals against. The penalty kill not covering men leading to goals against. Um, you know, mistakes on in defensive coverage leading to, uh, um, you know, goals against. And an offensive spark that comes way too late. And of course in that game, it barely happened at all. The only positive you could take from that one is that uh, miles Wood returned from an injury. Andreas Janssen returned from an injury and scored a legitimate goal. Like he actually shot it on net and everything. Mm-hmm. And it went in, you know, unlike his last goal. Right. And uh, Jonas Siegenthaler got off the COVID-19 protocol list to play in this game. And well, he was on the ice. Yeah, you know? that's that's pretty much all you can say about uh, their performance as a whole uh, in this game. But again, it, it's a matter of eventually the Islanders were going to figure out how to score on the Devils. I mean, you leave yeah. Brock Nelson alone in front twice in a row, he's going to score a goal from there. He scored a combined two goals from maybe, you know, a collective Five distance feet. of four feet. Yeah, from the net. Yeah. And, and that was, was actually big for the Islanders because one of the underlying stories for the Islanders is that since the trade deadline... The only guy who has scored more than two goals since April 12th was Anthony Beauvillier. Everybody else, you know, Barzal, Nelson, uh, Palmieri, pretty much everybody else on that team just had two or fewer goals since April 12th. And there's been a lot of games since April 12th. So this is not like, oh, just, you know, two games in a row. Islanders were limping. So in a way, they kind of needed that 5-1 win. Yeah, and they they needed it in a big way just to decide their – 
playoff seating. There's still one spot. It's not up for grabs. It's just the order of the um, finish, basically, in the yeah. Eastern Division, sponsored by Mass Mutual. But um, we, we're deciding who is going to get the privilege of playing the Pittsburgh Penguins, who won a division mostly without the services of Yevgeny Malkin, and are now going to be getting him back for the playoffs. Well, mm-hmm. the other team, the uh, whichever of the Islanders or the Bruins, um, finishes, I guess, ahead of the other, gets to go to Washington to take on a Capitals team that has been embroiled in a fair bit of controversy in the last couple of um, weeks and days. And what we saw from hours, you know, we're going to we're going to talk about what we saw in that game because it was so reminiscent of the Devils Rangers uh, line brawl contest. But I think it kind of went to another level um, with the frustration that the Rangers showed. But before we get to all that. Yeah, the Islanders needed this game. They also needed the game previous, uh, uh, prior to that, when yeah. the Devils beat them two to one, which was surprising in in and of itself. But Blackwood essentially stood on his head to make that one happen. So, yeah, and, and that you know the Islanders needed they needed a good week. Mm-hmm. They honestly needed a good week, and they went into this one with two straight losses to Buffalo. Buffalo, Dan. Yeah, they lost to an ECHL journeyman goaltender who was signed because the other goaltenders in Buffalo were too hurt to play. Mm-hmm. And they lost. They lost in a shootout. They couldn't even score a goal on him in the shootout, Dan. Yeah. That... So needless to say, Islanders fans were very testy, very anxious on Thursday night, figuring, oh, you know, the Devils are coming to town. Devils haven't won in Nassau this season. The Islanders <laughs> have handled the Devils really well, except for that one game where Scott Wedgwood stood on his head. And to your point, Dan, Blackwood said, hey, I'm really good at this. <laughs> Watch me stop all your shots. And Kyle Pomeroy said, Cool. I'm going to miss most of my opportunities anyway. And Matt Barzell is like, hey, am I like Matt Barzell or am I Pavel Zaka? And Pavel Zaka said, hey, I could score a goal. Check this out. And he scored a goal uh, off a great feed from uh, Damon Severson. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, the Devils went from, from strength to strength in the game. Like the first 10 minutes of this game looked like this was going to be an absolute nightmare for the Devils, where Blackwood was stopping all these wide open shots in the slot you know, the Islanders, you know, pretty much said, hey, we're on the weak side of your defense. Hey, watch us get a pass to our weak side of the defense that nobody's covering. Mm-hmm. Hey, Blackwood just made an amazing save. Uh, but the Devils actually clamped down on that as the game went on. And the Islanders, while they still had opportunities, they really did not make the most of them. And I really do, you know, their only goal of the game was a carom off of Anthony Beauvillier's skate yep. uh, from a Scott Mayfield shot, which the Devils answered Shortly thereafter, went up 2-1, and they held on to win. They played a very professional game. And, you know, the crowd at Nassau, obviously due to the pandemic, not a full house. But they were definitely not happy for those who were in in attendance in (laughs) Nassau. And, um, yeah, the Devils effectively kept the Islanders off of home ice, which is very important since had the Islanders taken care of business in Buffalo – you know, they could be competing for second place and get important home ice because the Islanders have the second worst road record in the entire division, which and is wild, now, which is wild and also bad for their playoff aspirations, because I'm sure Nassau is going to be, you know, electric for that playoff series. But guess what? If you're already down 0-2 in the series, it may not mean that much. You know, your margin of error is much smaller, uh, not to mention that if every home team wins in that series, you still lose because. You do not have home ice. It goes from electric to barbed really fast. Exactly. So the Devils were effectively spoiling the Islanders and adding to their anxiety because, again, they were a slumping team. Um, 
you know, unless the unless the Islanders were playing the Flyers or the Rangers, you know, you know, they were struggling. I mean, they lost two games to Buffalo. They lost two one to a New Jersey team that was giving goals away on special teams and special teams showed up and played. Uh, giving up goals because their defense couldn't cover anybody. Well, even when they left guys open, they couldn't score. So, you know, the Devils. Devils absolutely frustrated them very well on Thursday, and Saturday was effectively a course correction to that. Yeah, pretty much everything that should have gone in on Thursday went in on Saturday. Pretty, yeah, and and decidedly so. Mm. Um, that being said, just to walk back to the first game that we're going to cover, the Boston game, that was without a doubt the best game the Devils have played this week. Um, you know, as opposed to Monday night, which was terrible. The Devils' performance was much better on Tuesday. Passes were being made. Yep. Men were open going forward. And a Boston team, you know, was actually broken down as as the time went on. And the best thing about that game, and this is why I rank it ahead of, say, Thursday's game, is that there was a legitimate belief among the Devils, and they've had this in all their games against Boston this season, somehow, mm-hmm. is that they felt like they could hang with this Boston team. And this Boston team has been playing really well since the uh, deadline. Like the Taylor Hall acquisition was like a, a fantastic acquisition for them. Mm-hmm. And of course, it gave him a second line. So everything didn't have to be on the Bergeron line, which was still, you know, Sterling, Silver, greatness. Um, but the Devils hung with them. And poor Yaroslav Halak. So just, <laughs> just OK, so let me let me give some background to this. I covered this a little bit in the recap, but I don't think I made a good enough point of it in the post because I this this has to be pointed out. So in Boston's end, uh, poor Halak has been suffering from the coronavirus. So he missed most of April. Halak was signed to be Tuka Rask's backup. In his wake, uh, the Boston Bruins had two goaltenders who showed up and have played really well in Daniel Vladlar and uh, uh, Swayman. Mm-hmm. So, in effect, this was Halak's first game since the beginning of April. So, in effect, this game was effectively an audition because Halak's a free agent. Uh, he's an older player. You know, well, playoffs are coming up. You have to set your playoffs rosters. Are coming up. Exactly. So, this is an opportunity for Halak to show that the job is still his. These young guys, they ain't here to take it from him. Well, mm. Pavel Zaka scorched him with a fantastic one-timer set up by Jack Hughes off a draw um, during what during a three-second five-on-three, but it came in just after three seconds, so it was technically a five-on-four goal, but that opened up the scoring. And then even though Boston came back to tie it up, Bergeron scored a power play goal that was very nice, and then Taylor Hall scored off his inner thigh <laughs> from a Matt Grilzik shot after a really good play by Matt Tennyson, of all players. It was a real bad bounce. Um, you're up 2-1, but the Devils never really gave up on the game. And then Jesper Boakfist, Jesper Boakfist, Dan, yeah. finishes a rebound right in front of Halak. Um, you know, nobody was covering Mr. Boakfist. I can understand why. It's only Jesper Boakfist. At this point, you know, the Devils are, you know, I think Nick Merkley got benched in this game. So Jack Hughes was with Boakfist and that line started cooking. Oh, you know, weird. Jack Hughes was, was the spice. Super weird how you uh, put Hughes with anyone like, and they start cooking. Yeah, the flavor flavor town was there. Call him Guy Fieri. Um, you know, you know, make it make it happen here. Okay. But, but Hughes, did, Hughes didn't actually create the play, but he was just on the ice. But Severson set up uh, Boakfist for the, for the rebound. He puts it in. It's now two to two. Sean Corrali gets a fortunate break, um, scoring off his skate off a Pasternak shot to make it three two. But the Devils roar right back. Uh, Pavel Zaka powered through two defensemen. Puts a shot on the line. 
pass to lock. Nico, all he had to do was dive at the puck and tap it in. He didn't do it. And you're sitting there going, that could have been 3-3. Yep. Don't tell me that was the game. And then Jaeger Sharangovich showed up and said, I am the game. And scored a goal that Halak should have stopped on a straight-up wrist shot. Yep. It's 3-3. Three to three, And the Devils were just bodying up the Bruins. Like, the Bruins, for all of a sudden, they just forgot how to play defense. You, the Devils came a couple times close to making it 4-3 to three in their favor. It's incredible. If the Devils had approached... I don't know why specifically the Bruins had such a hard time with the Devils, but the Devils end up going 5-1-2 and two against them this year, Yep, which accounts for over a quarter of the Devils' total wins, which is like... Yep. Unbelievable for a team that's going to be in the playoffs and probably should have been a higher seed had they not performed so poorly against the Devils. Absolutely. And and again, Boston is a really scary matchup team. Like they've been very good at home, but they've also been very good on the road. They've been 15, 8, and 4 on the road, including the loss that we're just talking about here. Mm -hmm. So they got the power of Taylor Hall. They've got this killer first line. Everybody who thought their defense was going to fall apart without Chara and um What's his name? The guy in St. Louis who signed for a bunch of money. Tory Krug. Thank you, Tory Krug. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, this team's going to fall apart. Nope. Boston is back in business, but the Devils took care of their business. And in overtime, after Jesper Brat somehow pulled off a highlight move off of Pasternak, uh, Boakfist gets fouled by Corrali. Mm-hmm. But the Devils smartly did not force a touch-up. They, w- they took the puck back and made sure they got their power play unit on the ice during the delayed call. And they just played pitch and catch. Hughes and Butch- Will Butcher. Uh, Will Butcher's best game of the, of the week by far. Because <laughs> he was not good against the Islanders at all. Uh, he played pitch and catch with Hughes. Hughes found Zaka alone on the left wing. Hughes powered in and torched Halak with a clean backhander that made Halak look stupid. Oh, Zaka, yeah. Zaka just his second of the game ends ends the game. It was it was a four on three goal for a non four on three situation because it was during the delayed call. Halak throws a fit like a toddler, which I can speak to because I have one. Um, smashes the stick, presumably says a bunch of words in Czech that I can't say on this show, and then boots a wooden stool before heading to the locker room because he probably realized he blew the game and that could be his job in Boston. And it was a nice play by Zaka. It was very assertive. It was a really to, good play. Very yeah. assertive to take it to the net. You love to see something like that from him. And he went on a nice little run of point collection, you know, towards the end of the season here. He's been uh, definitely making just a much stronger case than he had at the end of seasons past where you're just kind of like, all right, now the stakes are gone. Do something. Yeah. And now he's doing something, and it's nice to see, you know, the sixth overall pick finally manifesting. And so, you know, let's kind of pause on the results from there, because that goal was nice, and it gave the Devils a great morale win, and they've gotten a bunch of those uh, in the last couple of weeks. But let's talk about, you know, the sixth overall slot, because that's entirely where the Devils could be picking this year uh, when all things are said and done. Given some combination of results that happened yesterday— the Devils look to be pretty locked into having the fourth best lottery odds this season. And so let's talk about how that happened. Well, first and foremost, Buffalo is going to um, be in pole position for that, followed by Anaheim. Yep. And then Seattle slots in uh, with their first, uh, first ever draft selection as a franchise. 
And then the, it would be the Devils because Columbus and Detroit played a perfect game to overtime with Columbus winning, which means that if Vancouver wins two of their last six games, or one, maybe even one of their last six games, the Devils will be locked into the fourth best lottery odds, the fourth slot. So at worst, because there's only two lottery spots being played this year, they could at worst pick sixth overall, which bodes pretty well for, you know, getting some young, talented players. Well, yeah. And, and again, you can also give some credit to um, Calgary because mm-hmm. they also they're they're two points ahead of the Devils right now and they have a whopping five games in hand. Yep. So even if the Devils tie them up in points, Calgary also has 19 regulation wins. Even if the Devils win their last game against Philadelphia on Monday in regulation, it's 19 to 16. The Devils lose the tiebreaker immediately. So, yeah. So the best – so the highest or the worst – look, the the best position the Devils can finish in is 28th, assuming Vancouver blows all their games. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is entirely Vancouver, possible. Entirely possible because Vancouver's a bad team. But they <laughs> do like, also play Calgary four times in those games. They also do. Yeah, exactly. And that's why we're saying we're a little more confident that Vancouver will get some Ws out of this. Yeah. Because uh, Vancouver's behind by two points, one regulation win, but also two regulation overtime wins. So remember, their first tiebreaker is the regulation win count. Then your second tiebreaker is the row count. And the Devils do have a two-game advantage in that regard. Uh, but of course, if Vancouver gets one more point than the Devils, then it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter at all. Yeah, Tiebreakers <laughs> don't matter. So, so in effect, the last game of the season for the Devils is effectively meaningless, even for the Sherman Abrams uh, faction of the fan base mm-hmm. that wants them to pick as low as possible. The Devils will, at worst, pick seventh overall. And that's requiring two of the two teams behind the Devils in odds to win both drawings, which I'm going to be honest with you, I, I would not put a lot of money on. But it's yeah, possible. I mean, statistically, I wouldn't put a lot of money on it, but it's happened nope. before. Yeah, it's happened before, and that's also why they're changing the lottery format, because teams are unhappy that lotteries work that way. Mm-hmm. You know, It's like they go to the casino and go, what do you mean you hit a Royal Flush? It's like, yeah, I know it's super low odds, but it can happen. <laughs> that's that's the whole point. That's the whole appeal of gambling. The, the lowest circumstances – Possible can still happen. That's why you throw money at things. Yeah. Because you believe you believe you delude yourself into thinking it's your time. That being said, um, this draft class, um, there's still not really much of a consensus right now because of, you know, the pandemic and the whole lack of international competition and the combine and a lot of in-person viewings. But from the outset, Dan, it looks like being seventh overall at worst still means you're probably going to get a very good player because this draft class Starts to trend off, I would say, about, you know, eight, nine players in. That's when you start going into questionable territory. It really doesn't feel like there's a clear-cut number one or even number two or three or whatever it is. It just feels like a lot of that's up for debate, and that's a consequence of this class being this class and also the fact that scouting has been extremely limited, as you said. So, um, you know, we'll see what the possible options are once we figure out where everyone's locked in as well. Uh, there's still plenty of time to um, to decide the draft order, and the Devils could have some improvement in their picks as well, depending on what happens with the Islanders, depending on what happens with Edmonton um, for what they got this year. They can have some sort of moving and shaking as the playoffs go on. So they do get an opportunity to uh, kind of sit back and actually have some sort of vested rooting interest in the playoffs in order to benefit their own draft pick. So 
we'll see where they go, and this player will eventually report to a new location. It's not going to be uh, Binghamton anymore, as that affiliation has ended. The Devils have signed a 10-year affiliation deal with Utica to host their um, for the Devils to host their minor league team there, and I think they're going to remain the Comets for now. I haven't seen any indication of a change. Um, in terms of that, but there was some you know, rumors about you know trademarking Utica Devils. Mm-hmm. I think you can assume that it's going to be something related to that, but um, yeah, it's going to be a new spot for the newest prospect eventually, and uh, I don't know. I, I don't really have a way to feel about this change since I don't really follow too closely the location-based um facets of ahl teams but i'm sure there are a lot of thoughts out there as well and we'll have some obviously on all about the jersey on what this change means for the organization is that fair to say i'd say so i mean to be fair i'm a little critical of the decision just because the devils ended their five-year they had a five-year contract with binghamton to stay there and obviously between the pandemic and the harsh reality that you know, the Devils saw this opportunity in Utica and uh, decided to end their contract early, which I'm not a big fan of. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a big believer that if you, you know, agree to a five-year deal, honor the deal. Um, big loyalty that guy. Being, well. Contractual that being, loyalty. That being said, you know, Utica has been the affiliate for Vancouver mm-hmm. since, like, Utica, like, the Devils used to be in Utica way back in the day. Like, from 1987 to 1993. And then Calgary bought that team and moved them to St. John, New Brunswick. Mm-hmm. Um, so effectively, that was the last time Utica had AHL hockey. Yeah, they had like, I think, a UHL team for like a hot minute, but that didn't last. And the Devils, of course, moved their affiliation to Albany and became rebranded as the River Rats mm-hmm. um, from the Capital City Islanders. So Utica was without an AHL team until Vancouver brought a team back, you know, reaffiliated with the team. Uh, their team president is Robert Esch, I believe, a former the former goaltender. Yep. Um, so Vancouver brought Utica back from the dead in 2013 as the Comets. So it, they've been there for a while. and But apparently, you, I can understand Vancouver saying, why are we calling up guys that we have to give a plane yeah. ride to? Um, uh, Utica, come- in case everyone's forgotten, is in New York State, whereas Vancouver yes. is in... The farthest possible place in Canada away from New York State, uh, yeah. British Columbia. It doesn't make sense for them to have an affiliation there, and they've moved their affiliation significantly closer to the actual uh, parent yes. club. Yes, they announced it on May 4th that they're going to move the team, uh, their affiliation, to Abbotsford, British Columbia. And um, you know, May 6th is when the AHL team presidents all got together to basically approve these two moves. Um, so Binghamton is now going to be the Utica Comets. So uh, per Utica's press release, uh, they did make an explicit point to say that they're still going to be called the Comets. Um, they may modify the color. They're obviously going to modify the colors because mm-hmm. currently it's Vancouver, uh, green, blue, and white. So it'll obviously become a much more appealing red, white, and black. Mm-hmm. And uh, the jersey design may also change. So there may be a logo change. Uh, but in terms of the actual name of the team, and the primary branding, it's still going to be Comets. So those who have fallen in love with the Comets in Utica um, are going to be, well, happy about that. And if you're an Albany fan who was in the area, it's got to be a lot easier to go to Utica than it is to drive all the way down to Binghamton. Mm-hmm. 
And you still have some local rivalries with Syracuse and Rochester. And if Binghamton does get an affiliation in the near future, I'm sure that's going to be a, a, a big deal, If especially if Albany gets another affiliation. Uh, but the big appeal for Utica will be they get, will get to see Alexander Holtz, who's currently with the AHL team right now in Newark. They'll see Arn Talvite or Talvitai. However it's pronounced, I should learn how to pronounce it one day. Um, they'll probably see Graham Clark again. And they'll, they'll, they could very well see a new goaltender mm-hmm. in the recently ELC signed Nico Dawes. Um, Nico Dawes um, has not played for a lot in Germany on loan, but um, he's a goaltender in the system. So the Devils are giving him a three-year deal to see what can you do for us. Because at so. this point, we're talking goaltender in the system. And behind Blackwood, there has not been a whole lot of consistency shown by anyone really. So no, it's up for grabs. Nico does. The spot is yours for the taking if you want it. And if you earn it, because uh, they did manage to get him with what was essentially found money in a draft pick that they had acquired. Um, I think from Arizona or no, this was, was the that? Carolina. Oh, pick. Okay. Okay. This was so part this, of the Sammy Votnin trade. Yeah. So the Sammy Votnin trade in Carolina's subsequent, um, winning yeah the winning in the return to play format basically bumped that pick from a fourth to a third and the devils decided to use it on the um, munich based goaltender nico dodds Mm -hmm. so yeah we'll see what he's able to do as the newest signed member of the devils organization um again there's just one game left for new jersey before we go into off-season planning so We'll, we'll talk more about, you know, what free agents to pursue, what trades to potentially make, expansion draft considerations, what players to look at after that game is done, after we put a bow on the season in the next episode. But um, for today, I wanted to touch upon what we saw in the aftermath of the Rangers-Capitals snafu yeah. uh, that ha- that played out both on social media and really in national news as the the statement was unorthodox the sentiment was unorthodox the results of it were certainly unorthodox and really it feels like tom wilson just buried the rangers franchise in a way that seems unfair to put squarely on them i i think there's a debate about what his punishment i think there's a very fair debate actually about what his punishment should have been for his actions against Pavel Buchnevich and Artemi Panarin, especially considering his history in this league. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think it was very hard to excuse that kind of behavior with just a fine that is essentially a drop in the bucket to Tom Wilson. Uh, yeah. But the the response and the behavior, I mean, the response, while echoing a sentiment that many fans across the league share, it was shocking to see a team put out that kind of statement because for exactly that reason, it sounded like just what a fan would say. And yep, it's very clear the sources of it. You know, I'm not going to go into all the details, but I think people generally know the source of that kind of statement. And the executives suffered for it for not backing it up. And a lot of people in Rangers world were extremely confused when they fired John Davidson and Jeff Gorton. But it, apparently it was a move that had been a long time coming. And I'm kind of surprised to hear that since... By all measures, not only did they, you know, have a nice roster being built and they were performing to a to a level that was more acceptable than it had been in the past, but they also had lucked into a lot of that roster, which is a blessing to them anyway. They 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 won a couple of lotteries. They had a couple of guys who just wanted to play in New York and so didn't have to do much work to build that team, but hey, it happened anyway. So 
it was surprising to see this result play out and then on the ice as well um since the nhl did not want to deliver any sort of accountability for tom wilson the rangers took it upon themselves and started essentially a fight night in the first period with pavel buchnevich continuing it with a cross check to the face of someone who was not even involved in the initial incident nope yeah i mean I understand Devils fans who are like, why are we talking so much about you know, the Rivals? Why are the Rangers living rent-free in your head? It's like, guys, this was literally the biggest story in the hockey world for like a week. And uh, it was probably one of the few times, because right now we're talking, you know, this past week was literally after the NFL draft. So New York, let's be real here. New York City is a baseball and a football town first, first and foremost. And, you know, that's why you go to New York Post or you go to the New York Daily News and, you know, there's breathless coverage about Zach Wilson yawning for the New York Jets for the first time or, you know, whatever happened in baseball. I'm not a baseball person. Dan kind of is. So, you know, you, you guys can talk about that. Yeah. But 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 for a couple of days, it was all about this non-playoff New York Ranger team because of all the all the levels of controversy. And I do mean levels here because. It's another example of the, of the NHL Department of Player Safety failing uh, entirely. It's another example of George Paris being correctly called out mm-hmm. and publicly called out. That's, I think, the big thing. I don't doubt for a second that teams complain constantly about officials and suspensions and judgments behind the scenes. Like, that's the thing. It's like at your job. You can complain about your boss to your coworker, but when you start doing it in public – yeah, I've never that's when, seen that's when stuff hits the fan. I've never seen a statement like that from any team in any sport regarding a league official. I mean, I've seen some in baseball. I've seen obviously managers and players complain about certain officiating and umpires who everyone knows who they are. If you've watched baseball at all, you know exactly the names of the umpires that everyone can agree really struggle at doing the most essential functions of their jobs. But um, that all being said, I've never seen a team release such a statement. So when you trace back the roots of it, you realize that um, I think with the Knicks actually being good, the owner, James Dolan, has decided, well, time to get involved in something again. I'm getting bored. I handed off responsibility of the Knicks. Time to uh, play around with the Rangers again and add more will as opposed to skill, which is music mm-hmm. to our ears as Devils fans. But, my God, I can't imagine being a Rangers fan and watching this very optimistic season that was just put together essentially philosophically fall apart in the span of a week. Yeah, and, and that's the other big level about this is because when the news came out, it literally was after that statement. So a lot of people, myself included, initially thought, wow, OK, now we know who came up with the statement. It was clearly from James Dolan, because according to Darren Drieger and uh, Elliot Friedman, um, you know, John Davidson, team president and Jeff Gorton, uh, general manager, were apparently telling anybody that would listen. They had nothing to do with that statement. They, they were unaware of the statement. So it clearly didn't come from them. So logically, who could it come from if it didn't come from the team president or the GM? It would have to be the one person who's higher than both of them, Mm -hmm. which would be uh, James Dolan, who is not so surprisingly advised by former GM and former team president, Glenn Sather. Uh And Uh, uh, again, with, you know, John Davidson and um, with John Davidson and Jeff Gordon, I think they because they never saw the statement, it's. 
they're too savvy of hockey executives in terms of the etiquette of things to ever approve a statement like that. John Davidson's right. been with many teams around the league in very important, you know, executive roles. And also he's a beloved figure in the Rangers world. He was a broadcaster for them for so many years. Um, he, he's built an iteration of the team that I believe that Rangers fans find fun to watch. And this was a shock. It really was something that it kind of reeks of classic James Dolan in terms of over management, but we'll see how it goes. I mean, the Rangers yeah. also got fined 50 times the amount that Tom, Tom Wilson did. And again, they're a team entity with a lot of money that plays in Manhattan owned by a very, very rich man. So again, yeah. if we're scaling the amounts that were fined, it makes sense. But just the optics of finding the Rangers $250,000 for a statement that in all fairness was probably pretty... I don't know about pretty accurate in terms of calling for someone's job, but they had a, more than a right to complain about the handling oh, of yeah. that incident. It's one of the few times where I could say James Dolan probably said the smartest thing in something, because typically James Dolan, as we saw for two decades plus with the Knicks, you know, constantly shooting the organization in the foot. Well, I saw um, the statement come out on Twitter, and I'm sitting here reading it like, wow, they really went after Paros like that. They even, and... they, they even read it on the Devils Bruins broadcast mm -hmm. on, two, on Tuesday night. Like, it was I, a big remember, deal. The devils, the devils are on MSG, so of course, you know, they're going to read the owner's statement on the MSG broadcast. This was uh, a... And even... Even Dano's like, yeah, you know, this this was a surprising thing. I got to agree. He crossed the line, Dano. But, you know, I like the tough stuff, Kanj. But, uh, you know, he's got to cross the line. And, you know, not not a lot of respect from Tom Wilson there. That That's pretty much my, my Ken Danico for you. Well, uh, and then in the, you know, in the continuing aftermath of that, let's talk about the vigilante justice that was administered because oh, we've boy. seen a situation against the Rangers with the Devils. I was, you know fortunate enough to be able to attend that game where it started with well they announced the starting lineups and who's on the ice well it's the devil's third line and the rangers third line we know where this is going in the game yep. previous deboer and tortorella were barking at each other everyone was having a really bad time getting along shouting between the benches and they decided to settle it on the ice but that line brawl happened and then it was done the this time, it started with that same flavor of line brawl. Puck drops, three players fight against three other players, but it didn't stop. For the next six minutes, there were um, just an inordinate yeah. amount of fights, mostly instigated by the Rangers trying to you know, stick up for their players. And again, later on in the game, it just seemed like the animosity never really went away as Buchnevich objectively did something that is dangerous and in a vacuum yes was mantha egging him on sure but he wasn't cross-checking him in the neck and no it was a it was a brad it was a brad marchand move let's just call it as it is it was so very much an over, of brad marchand. it's an overreaction overcorrection from their part but again the fact that bujanavich was suspended for that and wilson got away with nothing is really an indictment of how the league chooses to handle these things and one can't yep. help but wonder if they wanted to see this kind of controversy develop since i know that a lot of my friends who usually don't tune into hockey tuned in for that game. I told them, pay attention to this one because they're resolving some tension here, and they did not regret it. They, they really just said, I've never seen a game like this, and I've never seen this happen. And for the first couple of minutes, it was like, okay, yeah, this is like what hockey justice is if the league's not going to handle it. And then after the first couple of fights, it was just, well, well, this just seems unnecessary at this point. And the more yeah. they fight, the more they lose and the worse it gets since the Rangers end up losing both games anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's another element to this. Another, you know, piece of the onion, so to speak, is that, you know, and we, we've we've covered this. Like, we covered a hated playoff series between the Capitals and the Devils back in, what, 1988? 
that were game seven, you know, everything was just falling apart. There were, there was a massive brawl in the third period. You know, it's a game seven, no less. Like, you know, there was tons of penalties, um, hundreds of penalties on both sides. And that, and that was back in the day when those things were a little more commonplace, you know, guys literally took liberties with other guys and, um, you know, everybody felt they had to do their justice right then and there. And that's one of the many things I don't understand about this is that, if the Rangers wanted to throw down so badly in honor of protecting Panarin and Butchnevich, the time to do that would have been on Monday. Mm-hmm. Like when the incident, like the first shift after that happened, like forget waiting for Department of Player Safety to make a ruling. Maybe they were assuming, okay, our, our top guy was literally grabbed by the hair and thrown down to the ice and thankfully avoided a coma. Surely he'll get a suspension, and he didn't. And 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 more, I guess, more offensively, you know, according to ESPN sources, uh, they felt that the scrum was just a scrum, mm-hmm. as if, you know, sorry everybody, people do not get grabbed by their hair and thrown down to the ice twice in a normal scrum. There's usually some shoving, some swearing, some yiatas, and you know, you, you move on with your life. But but I fully agree, Dan. Is that, you know, if, if the Rangers, I guess, decided they needed to meet out some justice there have they probably heard mark messier who is literally on the radio as jeff gorton is clearing out his office saying i'm ready for a job you know talking about how you got to win in the alley you got to win in the alley dan <sighs> as well as on the rink and, and the rangers managed to not win in either because i think the rangers lost all six of those fights tom wilson obviously took you know had to fight brendan smith on his first shift and tom wilson looked bemused during the entire fight. And to their credit, I, I don't think they're any closer to hiring Messier than they were before this happened. Oh, I wish they would. I wish they would. I know, would, but I, I just like, I think they're making the wise decision here for themselves, to be honest. Right. But um, obviously I wish they would lean yeah. towards things that are less wise. But yeah, I just, I, I wanted to touch upon that because it was just so shocking to watch that game. And, you know, we've seen the opening minute line brawl and we've seen things resolved on the ice before but i've never seen such continuous animosity over a period against people who weren't really involved in the incident in one direction and otherwise like it just kind of being allowed to happen like i, I thought that era yeah. of hockey was bygone and it, no they, they just let them i think there was some sort of agreement between everyone involved in the situation just let them play it out on the ice but it, it took half an hour to play the first period it, not yeah. half an hour but like it took like 45 minutes of real time to get through the first 10 minutes of the game. There were so many penalties and the yep. boxes were completely full. Never mind what that does about coronavirus protocols or anything like that. But yeah. at, at this point, like, I don't know. It was, it was just so strange to see all these fights keep happening because not a lot of people on either of these teams strike me as particularly tough guys. No. And, and case in point, as I said, the Rangers didn't win in the alleys. They also lost in the game. Yep. Like Pavel Buchnevich going Brad Marchand on Anthony Mantha led to a major power play where TJ Oshie scored. And TJ Oshie, who recently had his father die recently. So in a sense, the Capitals, I guess, were playing for him. And Oshie drops a hat trick on these guys. And that and should have been the story before. of the game. And, and to a degree, I almost want to say the Capitals just approach it that way. Say, hey, we're here for Oshie. You know, we're playing for potentially first place in the division. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, after that game on Wednesday, they were temporarily back in first place uh, before they lost it on uh, – they lost it again and ultimately lost it uh, last night. Um, but, yeah, like 
the the Capitals just went about their business. Oh, we're we're injured. We don't have Ovechkin. We don't have Kuznetsov because he's in coronavirus protocol. We don't have Ilya Samsonov because he's in COVID protocol. We got Craig Anderson on the bench. Yeah. You know, Tom Wilson, he hurt his hand in this fight against Brendan Smith because he was, I guess, hurting himself from punching him in the face too many times. <laughs> I mean, you know, they were shorthanded and they still waxed the Rangers like they were nothing. And then, of course, the Rangers follow that up by getting waxed by Boston even worse for nothing the next night. So, you know, good good message, guys. Um, you, you blew up your team all because Tom Wilson decided to go Tom Wilson on somebody and the NHL uh, predictably failed to uh, hold him to account. And I'm wondering what this I hope, means. I hope, they, I hope James Dolan – say what you want about James Dolan, Dan, but he gets headlines. Yeah. He gets headlines for a team that does not get any buzz. But I'm wondering – I mean, think about it. This is a Rangers team that had, what, five players with over 40 points in a 56-game season. You got a fine goaltender in Igor Shesterkin. You got a potential Norris candidate in Adam Fox. And you still don't make the playoffs. James Dolan, I think, may have a point here, Dan. Blow it up. <laughs> Hire Messier. Get some alley fighters. Do what you can to bring the K- the Kachuk brothers to uh, New York. Sure, you'll be in seventh place for the next 10 years. But you know what? I say you do it. Yes, you as the um, you are the smartest man in the room, Jimmy D, and your band is fantastic. As the showrunner of All About the Jersey, you have a very unbiased, invested interest in having the Rangers make the best decision for themselves. I'm sure. Um, Absolutely. I know that you're coming at this with all the best faith possible. So, um, you know, maybe they should take your word of advice and blow up their team and see what happens there. But yeah, I want to see what happens moving forward in terms of the player safety department and what precedent this sets in terms of criticizing it. I mean, I I think with the results between the fine against the team and the fine against the player, it's essentially been quashed, but it definitely sent a message to the league that's like, well, where does player safety actually land on this? And stories are coming out of, Wilson specifically, when he had his hit on Carlo that sidelined him for seven months and gave him concussion-like symptoms for three of them, uh, they didn't even want to initially suspend him, but the optics apparently looked so bad that Bettman made Paro suspend him. This is a report out of the, um, uh, it was from, I think, the Post. It was either Brooks or uh, Carpignol for The Athletic, but just stories like that, I'm very intrigued to see what that means in terms of discipline moving forward, not just for Tom Wilson, but for anyone involved in that kind of incident. So I guess we'll just wait back and see. First and foremost, I'm happy the Devils are not involved because I think that would be um, really annoying to have that that specific kind of attention uh, from a national and league-wide perspective. So at least it's a rival. But yeah, that was just an interesting scenario that played out. And I think that was one of the more intriguing results of it and one of the... In terms of the expected fallout from the initial statement, I could not have predicted any of the things that uh, happened afterwards. So big week of change in the NHL. The Devils have one more game to play before they finish their season and look ahead to the offseason. And yeah, lots to determine, lots of playoff seating still to be decided since the Canadian division will be playing through next week to make up all the games. But once the playoffs are decided, once there's more clarity on where the Devils will be drafting even, we'll be back with some analysis of their draft position, with some analysis of the playoff picture, because we're also a league podcast. We can talk about what's going to happen in the playoffs and what matchups we're looking forward to as well. Would you agree? Yeah, I'd say so. And of course, there's also the world championships. Uh, We already know that Nico Heischer, uh, thanks to intrepid reporter Timo Meyer, uh, Nico is apparently going to go represent Switzerland for the uh, world championship. So nice. there will at least be one devil playing 
uh, beyond uh, May 10th, um, albeit for his country. And who knows how anybody could watch it. But, uh, you know, it's the World Championships, the IHF. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he, he'll be active at least. <laughs> so there's that. So you get to enjoy him potentially. But yeah, until next time, uh, enjoy the final game of the season. We'll um, obviously wrap everything up after it's done and uh, have more for you next week. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week and were as intrigued by it as we were. Um, And as usual, let's go Devils. We will catch you next week.